Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Germany is Marcus Jutner. Marcus is Vice President and Global Head of Compliance for E.ON, and will be speaking at the 2022 European Compliance and Ethics Institute, which will be taking place March 14th through 16th. Uh, he's going to be addressing the topic of taboos and blind spots within an organization, which I'm really intrigued by. First of all, Marcus, thank you for joining us today and then for joining us next year at our European Compliance and Ethics Institute. Yeah, Adam, thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. And I'm also looking forward to this interview. Well, it's a fascinating topic, uh, taboos, blind spots. It really speaks to the role that culture plays. What are some of the common taboos and blind spots to watch out for? So let me start with a very important premise. You know, um, when you hear the word uh, taboos or blind spots, I do not talk about individual blind spots and taboos. I rather concentrate on organizational taboos and blind spots. And maybe you're asking why. Uh, I think it's a common misunderstanding in our compliance community to focus on the individual person or the individual member of the organization. So the core task yeah, of corporate compliance and business ethics is to prevent, to detect, and even to respond to corporate misconduct or corporate crime. Um, and hence corporate crime is then organizational crime. And its explanation calls for an organizational level of analysis. And um, having said this, um, the focus on individuals, yeah, the psychology or even looking to neuroscience is only half of the story. So studying individual people will never give us an idea on how an organization operates. Other for, for, for that, um, we need to understand that an organization is an organization, not less nor more, and even not a collection of individuals. Um, and so with this mindset, yeah, of course, I'm happy to answer your, your, your first question. What are the common taboos and blind spots? We should uh, take a look at it. And I would, as I mentioned in the beginning, I would like to, to, to say there are four. So there are two, they are related to us as a compliance manager or compliance experts. And the other two, they might be related to the operational function of an organization. So um, what do I mean concrete to give you then the examples here? Yeah? So a potential taboo for, for us, for the compliance function could be that we are not transparent reporting to our management board or even honestly reporting to our management board. For example, if they are asking, is our compliance management effective? Maybe we should then answer, to be honest, I do not know. I can tell you what I do, but I do not have the insights what's really going on in my organization. Uh, a potential blind spots here on the compliance um, function is um, regular to be found in the risk assessment because we as a compliance officer quite often do not see what we do not expect to see. So on the latter one, yeah, the potential taboo for the operational functions, such as sales department, is the non-transparent reporting to us, to, to me as a compliance officer. I come back later on it. And finally, a potential blind spot for the 
operational function would be that they are not reflecting what they are doing, um, what they are deciding on so-called ethical blindness or even it's a habit. So I think this is, these are the most common taboos and blind spots. Now, are, are these taboos and blind spots abnormal or just a normal part of every organization? Or in other words, you know, why do they exist? Mm, I, I think they are indeed normal. Yeah, they are part of the real life of an organization. So not everything is doable or not everything is discussable at all times in every situation. So you, you also could say that taboos, in other wording, are selected, selective communication and blind spots, in other words, are selective observation. So that means, um, I'll give you an example, yeah, an organization, yeah, a milk producer in the US, this milk producer company will not observe EU bicycle law. Yeah, so and, and in, in, within an organization, labor is divided. So the sales department is not observing what the procurement department is doing and vice versa. And this happens also to the compliance function. Yeah, so it's, I think it's naive if the compliance officer says, okay, I start a workshop within the sales organization and say, how do you like our rules and regulations? How do you circumvent them? And I think there will be much room of silence. That there will be, that there will be. Now, if those taboos and blind spots are part of an organization, uh, you know, how does it fit in within a, you know, a lived real compliance culture? Yeah, thank you for this um, um, question. Um, firstly, I think as a compliance officer or expert, you have to acknowledge, yeah, that these selective observations and selective communication do exist. And if you don't acknowledge these existence, I think you are a bit naive and your compliance program might, might be then finally a dry exercise. So secondly, this is combinated with the first argument. Secondly, um, you should not confuse that um, the absence of a compliance case, the absence of whistleblower um, um, notices is the same as the absent of a compliance problem. So because there's nobody blowing the whistle, that does not mean that there is no problem. So this comes to this um, selective um, um, communication. And thirdly, um, um, we, we should have a proper understanding then of these, these things. And maybe you have heard the saying, what is culture? Yeah? What is a compliance culture? It is, or it starts when the compliance officer is leaving the room. Um, yeah, so I think the awareness of these existence of these um, selective communication and observation, this is the key for, for success. Now, there's bound to be some variation across an organization, especially a larger one. Quite often there's a corporate culture, but also several cultures as well. Uh, subcultures, I mean, uh, how can the compliance team best understand how to address these differences within the corporate culture? Yeah, very, um, yeah, very good um, um, observation from your side. Yeah, again, I think that, that we as compliance experts should not fall into a trap that 
um, just what is written down in a code of conduct or code of ethics, what is put on, on the wall or on posters, that this is culture. So this, this, this also means that in a, at least in large corporations like mine and in many others, there is no one company culture. There is no one compliance culture. Yeah? This is only a wish. It's, it's, a, it's a good wish. But it's not reality. As you mentioned, there are several subcultures or team cultures or group cultures within an organization. And I think to, to get grip on it, um, a practical good way would be that you have stuff, you call it ambassador, compliance ambassador, or the name does not matter, in the field, on the front, so that they have their eyes, their ears there where the business is happening and even far away from the headquarters. This, this is the reason why we have two eyes and two ears, yeah, to watch, to see, and to, to see what, what is the gossip, what kind of stories are the people telling. And the stories really do define the culture in many ways more than others, because it really is sort of the history of the organization. Now, what's the best way to build an inventory of blind spots and taboos? Huh. Yeah, this is a difficult um, um, question. I would say, um, there is no one best way. Um, I would do it the other way around. I could tell what what's not working. And so what I avoid, for example, is um, to have workshops. And um, um, I give you two reasons why I think workshops, cultural workshops or compliance risk workshops um, are not a good idea. First of all, if you put in these workshops the leaders with the non-leaders, I think a censorship will take place. So if you as a compliance says, okay, what are here the most risky things? What kind of misbehavior is going on? What, uh, what should we change? Then again, a censorship or a risk of censorship is, 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 is happening. And secondly, we as compliance officer might, might look to, I call it weak, signals yeah so the minorities maybe see the reality different yeah so the the, the people who do not have the loudest voice to to listen and in, within the workshops they maybe they are not uh, speaking up so um i think the whole topic you have to play via the rail is i hope this is a um, the correct wording um so you have to, for example, you do one-to-one -one interviews. So you are asking your salespeople, what should the organization do to be more agile, to be quicker, to be faster? And maybe this person is then talking um, um, in a better open way. But if you're asking this person the other way around and saying, what kind of law is a problem for you? What kind of internal regulation? Then I think this person is not so, so open or transparent to you. Well, yeah, and you do raise a great point there is, is how you phrase a question can have tremendous impact on what kind of answer you get out of people. And it's always good to think about wait, how you're going to ask because you don't want to end up in a negative. You want to come up with something that's going to be constructive. Now, once the blind spots and taboos are defined, how do we most effectively address them? Mm -hmm. um, I think the keyword would be revealing by concealing. Yeah. So with these blind spots and taboos, yeah, you also could say this is invisible data. So there might be something around where people 
apart from compliance are talking yeah, in, in, in the kitchen or in, in their areas, but in front of the top management or in front of the compliance or they are not. So there is data there, but it's invisible. And you're only making this data visible in by making the other data invisible. So I think the key is anonymity. Uh, uh, um, and, and, and yeah. So for example, that you do a survey where the people are quite sure that um, we here as a headquarter are not finding out who's, who gave the answer, for example. And, um, um, and finally, um, I have to say that we should take care of the informality. I think this is, uh, this, this is not easy. As a compliance officer, we need to have form, formal regulation, documentation, but to take care of the informality um that the people trust you and they know when they have a question or they have an, an, an allegation that there is not an automatism running down the street then they know what will happen so that they even know okay i can talk to these people these people are this guy or, or compliance officer is listening well and you know you do raise a great point to close this is that the rules, regulations, all that are hard and firm, but you also need something softer, which is a human factor, so you can build the trust between the organization and the compliance team. Well, Marcus, thank you for sharing these insights with us today. I look forward to hearing more at the 2022 European Compliance and Ethics Institute. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletop from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.